Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chrisley Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, where we go back in time to assess Irish albums past with a a keen eye and a clean ear, I was going to say, on the present. And as ever, we have a panel of experts with us. This year is 1998. Joining myself and Kieran McGuinness. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm not too bad. You look great for for a very tired man. I'm a very tired man. But we won't get into that. Am I here at all? Because that's not why the listeners are here. No. We have (laughs) Paul Page of Whipping Boy fame and excellent music blog, BetweenTheBars.net. Paul, how are you? Hi Dave, how are you? I'm good man, thank you for coming in. We have Anthony Fury of The Young Folk. Hello. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Do you have a blog? I do not. Maybe, <laughs> soon. He's got no blog. If he starts one we can plug it. Yeah. At some point <laughs> down the road. And industry titan Anne-Marie Shields, who I couldn't even begin to try and sum up your CV, so you've actually brought it with you. I know, I actually had to bring my CV because it's so extensive. I, I was like, what the hell do I tell you that I've done? <laughs> um... So, okay, of the many things, I did a lot of, many years of tour managing, My Bloody Valentine, Dinosaur Jr., Laika, um, who else, Marianne, or I worked with Marianne Faithful. Uh, let's see, I worked at Reprise Records for a long time. I ran four Marathons. independent <laughs> record labels. <laughs> um, I currently have my own distribution and I work at BIM as head of careers and events and I put music into films just finished a film with Sam Rockwell as the lead which is just finished now working on the trailer awesome. cool and it's can I give exciting. you a CD <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of a band called Della Renta yes. uh, I'm a huge Sam Rockwell fan so that's awesome yeah uh, I suddenly very feel, exciting I suddenly feel a hundred times more intimidated than I was <laughs> Um, it's a it's a nice uh, diamond heist movie set in London which is very um, violent but funny excellent cool 
that's tremendous. Uh, as I say, a lot more intimidated now. So yeah. what I'll do is I will throw to Kieran McGinnis, pop culture maven, who yeah. always does a bit of a summary of the year in question. So 98, Kieran, what was happening? Okay, so 1998, uh, lots of good films. Saving Private Ryan, right? The Truman Show, The Big Lebowski, Armageddon, Something About Mary, American History X, your favourite Blade. It's uh, great. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, <laughs> <Obviously>. How dare you? <laughs> the Wedding Singer, Ants, I think A Bug's Life. You know, there's just lots and lots of, you know, decent films. It was a good time for movies. Um, Album-wise, uh, a lot of my favourite albums, really good albums this year. Uh, Mezzanine, Massive Attack, Hello Nasty, Beastie Boys, Miseducation of Lauren Hill, uh, Deserta Songs, Mercury Rev, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. Oh, I worked with them too. Forgot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We can't do this the whole episode. Uh, <laughs> this Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours, Mannix, my favourite album of theirs. Uh, in An Airplane Over the Sea, Neutral Milk Hotel. Hotel. Brilliant, yeah. Absolutely brilliant album. Um, American Water by the Silver Jews, another one of my favourite albums in a kind of a guilty pleasure sort of way. Boy with the Irish Strap, Bell and Sebastian, tons of stuff like that. Um, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. I did not uh, have affair, sexual affairs with a woman or whatever. Sexual relations? Relations, yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. I was going to yeah. say there were no guilty pleasures, then you went straight into that. So I was like, <laughs> how am I going to possibly bring this in now? Um, Posh and Beck's got engaged, big news. Uh, Titanic won the best Oscar, which has to be one of the worst films to ever win a best picture not like it's like I on. went on the hop from school and watched that really <laughs> yeah a great day Jesus um, I went to there's something about Mary that you mentioned around with my mother by the way which is right. a very bad thing for a 14 year old boy to who was do, explaining so. to who this <laughs> is very terrible like it was just a really bad idea I think we'd see Toy Story 2 with her like the same summer or something and I was like that's what we should be going to see instead this is wrong um, yeah uh, Frank Sinatra died um, uh, and it was Clinton and Blair and in Ireland, oh shit, I think it was, what's his face, uh, John Bruton. Must have been, yeah. Oh, damn it, I should really have known that. But anyway. Are you a big Taoiseach historian guy? or like? No, I just, you know, I just said I shouldn't be so Anglo uh, slash American focused. That's fine. You know, you have your flaws. I do. And it's grand. So, as ever, we have five records to talk about on the show. And this time out, they are The Mary Janes with Sham. Ash with Nuclear Sounds, The Brilliant Trees, Wake Up and Dream, Sinead Lowen and No Mermaid, and Therapy are once again on the show, this time with Semi Detached. And I reckon we should get straight to it here. Absolutely. Um, one thing about this year, which is really funny, 1998 is a year, I think it's just, it's just kind of at the end of the CD domination, because um, it's about to hit home recording, MP3s are about to happen. And a lot of these albums, I mean, there was twice as many albums that we couldn't find were just like not on the internet not on streaming services um, and it was actually very hard to find a lot of albums but I mean, there was a, still a sizable list but it's amazing how a lot of these albums actually ended up just being lost for example Therapy isn't anywhere except YouTube glad to have it Brilliant Trees wasn't anywhere except uh, Apple Music Sinead Lone's album wasn't anywhere like wasn't even on um, you know you couldn't buy it so I had to build it out of um you know, YouTube videos and and um, and Last FM and stuff. You know, it's just it's just really unusual how that's the case. You know, and, and I'm just wondering how many albums like just are lost as a result. You know, like for example, Sinead Lohan has no social media presence. There's no even not even a website. It's just it's just mad how this can be. Like Sinead Lohan's album sold two hundred thousand copies in the states, and there it is so little digital footprint from it, and it's so hard to find. It isn't like it's not even that long ago, and it's because I guess it was just before, you know, MP3s hit, and then the industry totally changed. So it was like the last kind of where a, a label could kind of, I guess, I don't know, like control an album into the point where it's not released. I mean, you were talking, Amory, about the, I, I couldn't find the Therapy album, and you were thinking it was because they're 
they were like in some contract stuff or oh no what I was um, aware of was that A&M at some point after they released that record actually there was problems there and the band ended up having to um, this is you know hearsay probably but Mm. had to fund their own European tour and therefore the record never came out in America so and I think that's something to do with the problems that major labels were having at the time yeah and like I don't know I think it's really kind of funny because you go three years later you know you go to 2001 and there's a hundred albums and they're almost all online you know and it's just such a a change you know what I mean like it's it's, 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 it's mad anyway so let's go into them I think it's the uh, relationship between dial up and broadband perhaps now yeah. I remember like trying to like, download a film trailer in 99 it took about two hours yeah. and now it's like poof, you know so yeah I used to get uh, um, except w- in where I live in West Wicklow <laughs> <laughs> it's still a problem <laughs> Jesus I've got a friend on the other side of the world and he, he has a job where he, he works remote and then he'll spend like a week or so going into town and he just downloads all the football podcasts and stuff because he knows he'll never get another chance and I was like that, sound, that actually kind of sounds cool I was like you know it sounds like a simpler time so 1998 was a simpler time well actually it's funny because it, it, listening to these albums I mean what I get, well, before we get into the albums because the albums um, were all in different mediums I don't know if it was the same for everyone else but the Sinead Lohan album it was very difficult to listen to on my phone because it was all on Last FM YouTube through YouTube stuff, videos yeah. so what I had to actually do was set up my computer and sit down and, and I, so it ended up like that album I ended up having to really kind of actively listen to I had to make an effort to listen to whereas like Nuclear Sounds is on Spotify it's everywhere it's easy to listen to so I could do that when I'm wandering around or I'm driving or whatever you can kind of be a bit more passive but you know a lot of them I had to actually really make an effort to listen to like The Brilliant Trees I had to find the album I I had to buy the album and then I had to put it on a private link on YouTube for everyone you know so like I had to actually you know I had to Build it, you know, like build the thing, but through playlists. Like, Kier definitely wasn't complaining about having to spend money for the show. By the way, listeners. well, no, it wasn't that. It was just <laughs> a, so if it's a recommended album, it's just difficult for the, the listener to kind of they have to go buy it. They can't pr- preview it anywhere. Yeah, it's appointment listening though. It's like I had that with the Brown Trees and with Sinead Lowe and album. I kind of like I tidied my room because I was like I have to stay in my room now for an hour. So uh, you know, like I'm not. I'm gonna did just, you did you that do that with your mum as well? No, thankfully I, I I've moved beyond that stage of my <laughs> life. I, I make my own bed and I, I don't live at home anymore. So anyway, let's. Just just talk about the record, shall we? Okay, uh, this is the Mary Jane's. This is Wine Song from Sham. So it's the Mary Janes. We have featured them before on the show. Anthony, tell us about the Mary Janes and your relationship with them. Um, I was introduced to the Mary Janes music about five, six years ago and that album Sham um, by one of my good friends. Um, I was listening to Mick Christopher possibly maybe 15 years ago and um, I didn't realise I had this band beforehand. So once I found uh, the Mary Janes, it just opened up a completely new door for me with Mick Christopher. I started to kind of respect music a bit more, and then I heard Carl Odlum play with him. I was like, geez, this this is a massive band. How come they weren't bigger? But they were. They were massive back in the day. Um, I think they started off in 1990 and went to 99, and that was it, nine years, two albums. Um, but yeah, so with this album, and I want to thank Dave and 
Thank you, Aaron, for letting me kind of dive into it. Doing and a deep dive. Yeah, completely. But um, yeah, I kind of, when I was listening to it, I figured that Mick Christopher and Mary Jane's kind of got their influences from Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, um, and then there was a bit of like Bristol uh, trip hop. I was kind of listening to like Mm. Porter's Head, um, what's this, uh, Sneaker Pimps, like stuff like that, but was more drums, bass, kind of that lo-fi. So that was kind of, yeah, that was kind of cool for me to listen to because I I was listening to Porter's Head, but I didn't realise there was this Irish band that was doing the same thing. So it was like this grunge thing and there was um, the trip-hop and then there was a traditional feel because I know Mick... And played traditional music for about fifteen years. It was, he was like a really po- he was like the king of the buskers or something. Like he was, yeah, like, like it was he, like, like the holy trinity. Yeah, like trip hop, grunge, and traditional music. But um, yeah, in in on on the album Sham, you get think you like you get listen to it and um, you can tell that Mick has this thing with his vocal. It's a very honest kind of vocal. Nobody can replicate it. He has this really deep feeling in it, especially in the choruses. Of a lot of these songs, um, with the songs such as "Simple Times" and "Sham," the opening track, uh, "Part of Me" and "Friends," the growl in his voice is pretty amazing. It draws you in. This makes you, the old hair stands up on your back uh, or on your neck, I should say. I don't have any hairs on my back, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Smashing Pumpkins I got from there's a song uh, "Ava Adore." Smashing Pumpkin song, oh, yeah. and it's very the start of that is very similar to Sham. Yeah, it's, the start of actually that's a good point. It's so similar. It's right. just so funny. Like the previous album to this, Border, they're laughing had no drums in it, and no, the drums yeah, are like a such piece. a big part of it's this. It's a album. much more muscular sounding record than a lot of their early stuff. I became very aware of them. They were going around the same time as Whipping Boy. I didn't know Mick, but everybody that came into contact with the Mary Janes, they just loved them. Like. Uh, our ex-manager Dave Bell was involved in releasing some of the records and he was always raving about them so I think their early records were much more acoustic based very intricate guitar playing but that voice is the thing that really commands your attention it's just so out there and so unique as you say yeah some of the heavier songs you can tell like his voice is so strong yeah but then they throw in a few lighter more delicate songs Queen of Hearts yeah I think that's more kind of the style of some of the early you had some EPs at the start yeah. and I think that with the no, the no drums approach yeah. I don't know if that was an enforced thing or whether they, they started he started out the band with that as the intention well I think that they were weren't they as I say they were buskers so I think they I think they brought that into their into their first album and it was a very much that kind of feel that kind of you know all the all the rhythms are implied by this, the slapping of the guitar yeah. or whatever yeah. I remember I think I don't know about you but I think I remember when we did we did the board of laughing it was on a previous um, podcast that we did and someone said I didn't even notice there was no drums until halfway through but like the thing about this album is the drums and the rhythms are so such a big part of it and I wonder was yeah. that like a decision I felt were, this was a lot more coherent I mean yeah. was it Carol Keogh we had that episode and she loved it because she grew up with it I think it was yeah. Carol and I kind of felt like yeah well I mean it obviously was a document of the time and I think she was connected to that band on a personal level and it was kind of like I just I struggle with it because I, I find that I've grown up I, I grew up as a drummer like I play drums so I was very much like where are the fucking drums uh, and I was just like oh they're not here at all but this one I found to be you know a lot more kind of like a lot less ragged and a lot more focused I well think. it is very it's much more focused and do you know something one of the things about it I think 
that I re- really stood out for me was that um, the ba- I think the bass and the I just think the bass and the drums the rhythm section is 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 really it's really uh, not that it's it's just really kind of uh, uh, um, developed or something like it just seems really worked out and it just everything because it just allows allows Mick to kind of just go wherever he wants with the vocals I think it's excellent you know yeah I mean yeah, the yeah. first record did feel like a, a lot like jam sessions almost at times a bit of that. I've, I've never listened funny, to the yeah. first record now so I'll have to I mean it's not bad by any stretch of imagination but it's just like there's definitely a keener focus on songwriting on this one I think yeah but well, you can tell with this one uh, a lot of the songs the drums and bass don't come in to maybe a few bars into it so you can tell maybe they're not comfortable with the drums and bass coming in straight away and then there's a few songs that just drops in I think the point you made where you said people who listened to the first record didn't even notice there was no drums I think it's style of guitar playing is almost percussive sounding yeah. mm. and it's just you know and the rhythms are fairly tight and in this the introduction of the drums I just think it adds a more rock feel to the whole thing and yeah, yeah. it's much yeah, more it's, muscular. It's it's only I can really hear the Skylarkin album in this though. I can hear it all the way through. I don't know about you. You can hear, yeah, I feel it one is or stu- two songs that are very similar. Very to similar, but this feels like a yeah, much more bandy. You know, yeah. Mm. yeah. I know that's a stupid word, but bandy. <laughs> it's much more bandy, but it's it's it feels much more like an ensemble performance. Whereas um, that much sound that's much better, isn't it? <laughs> then uh, Skylarkin, much better. Yeah, it's yeah. smooth. Yeah, it's smooth. <laughs> and they but, go out to record this album to make it like a live feel. Yeah. Well, I, I, do you know, online there is an enormous amount about the Mary Janes, but I was going through various reviews and stuff like that, and a lot of them were live reviews, and yeah. they were like, you know, it's better live, It's it, you know, it's got a lot of feeling live. So, you know, around that time, I don't know, there was, it feels sometimes like in Irish music there's little pockets of times when there's a there's a kind of a Irish band that seems to connect everybody sort of thing mm. so like in the early 90s I think there was a lot of the frames like the frames was mm. really big Irish band and a lot of people and people would be obsessed with the frames you know and uh, obviously there was a Damien Rice period I think as well and yeah. everyone seemed to go everyone in college seemed to go to see Damien Rice and I think there was a Mary Jane's period in the late 90s because there was a lot of reviews a lot of live stories about them and they were all a similar kind of communal kind of people feeling like they calling him Mick you know mm. oh you know Mick was in great form you know that kind of way like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's like almost a personal thing that you get with a band and I think they were just before the frames obviously and they share similar DNA I think um, and I think that was there was a rig college kind of you know buzz about them that really I think that's kind of coming back a little bit though I mean with bands like Otherkin and Fan Club where it's like their records are an advertisement to go and see them live mm. it's not the be all and end all because I think there you get that community feeling from their live shows. Uh, I've never seen the Mary Janes and I, I never got to see them, so I I can't really speak to that. But I mean, I think that this you kind of hinted at there yourself, and this feels like it was like, hey, you know, if you like this, we're playing next week and such and such, yeah. and like that's where you really got the sense of it. I well, guess actually, you know, it does. I think it stands up as an album, though. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Um, like there was saying, what was it saying in a line online? Uh, Three hundred days, he did one hundred and eighty gigs. 300 days and he ended their tour in Bosnia well wow. so 180 gigs that's how many gigs a week 4 gigs a week 4 gigs a <laughs> for week for a year that's that's a lot of gigs <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think the album really it'd be interesting to see where they would have taken it from there because it, it was definitely there's definitely a commercial mainstream appeal about the record when you listen to it like it was it tapped into that kind of big rock sound that was f- fashionable back then mm. and you know I think he could have went on to make something that would have been commercially successful after that. I don't think they ever broke the Mary Janes. As much as people, you, you know, they got great reviews and they were big on the local scene, they never really broke out of the 
Dublin scene to any great degree, I don't think, at that time. Did they just find it too comfortable there or was it? I'm not sure if it was that. I mean, they were like one of these best kept secrets. Everybody you talked to loved them, you know, they, but they still were still playing relatively small venues. They wouldn't have, you know, got to the stage where they were playing the Olympia size venues or anything like that. They were very much kind of that small club band. Everyone, again, everyone that went to see them live said they were amazing, you know, so, but. They just never seemed to break out of that. Uh, so, what, so I mean, you were gigging around that time. So, was there kind of? Did you feel like there were clicks? Like I feel like now I'm in a band still, still, and I feel there's clicks. Absolutely. Did you feel like were they in a click? Were you in a click? We definitely weren't in a click. Nobody would have us. <laughs> so, um, I think, the, yeah, the Mary Janes, the Frames were always associated that kind of raggle taggle movement Keeler, as it was called at the thing. time yeah. yeah they would have been seen as part of that um, yeah. but I mean it's not necessarily a bad thing there were no. musicians who you know shared a common interest mm. and made music that was of a similar kind of ilk um, but the, yeah Dublin has always had that as you know a clicky kind of scene or and again some bands just don't fit in and then there's, there's other bands that seem to gravitate to that I was I I used to hate because I I I always wanted to be in a click because <laughs> we would get the train into town and we would play our gigs and we would run and get the last train you know yeah yeah uh, and, and head out to kind of Scary's uh, Donabate kind of area and but people when you went and played again down the country they to be like oh you know Dublin band you know just presume you spend all your time sitting at Whelan's talking to <laughs> whatever and we were like and then when we were in Dublin we were a country band you know we were like coming into the city so yeah, yeah I know what you mean like how is it now. Well, we're now uh, we're at the centre of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, like, it's funny because I really loved that at the start. It was really cool because you know you'd go in and you'd see the same because you'd play the same size venues and there'd be a lot of bands. There's always a the, you know the further you go up the pyramid, the, the less bands there is. So at the bottom, where you, if you start at the bottom, there are a hundred bands that you see all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And then like if you get more successful and maybe you can sell at Olympias or whatever, there's less bands on that level. Do you know what kind of way? Yeah. So the thing about it is it becomes less clicky because then you're not playing with the bands of that size. Like yeah. you know if you're you know, so you're too popular is what you're saying. No, I'm it? not saying. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about like you know, in a scene, the more popular you get, the more exclusive you get because you're just physically not playing with those bands. You know, if, but if you're small, everyone supports each other and everyone plays. Their, like I really like that kind of scene. Yeah. I think it's kind of fun. As that. Final word on the Mary Janes before we move on. Then listen to Sham. That's my final word. It'll open up a lot of doors musically uh, and lyrically. For me, it did. Okay, that's totally fair. Uh, let's move on to Ash, their second record, Nuclear Sounds. It sounds like this. That's Jesus Says, it's by Ash, it's off Nuclear Sounds. Anne-Marie, this is a band that are rather close to your heart, I believe. Yes, they are very much so. I actually originally met Ash when they were in their teens and uh, before they got signed at all, originally met them because I knew um, Tav, their manager, and I knew Sarah Stennard, their lawyer. And they came to a My Bloody Valentine gig, I think, is when I first met them. Um, But anyway, Ash are a fantastic band. I love them. They're like alternative pop punk kind of 
band with a lot of uh, American influences as well. They they spent quite a bit of time at some point in America, but I know with this particular album, they'd been touring quite a lot before they made the record and they were quite burnt out and, you know, things got a little bit darker for them, I think. And um, they were growing up as well because they were growing up whilst uh, tour, like making and touring their first record. Um, but those those were, the first record was based, I suppose, on those uh, sort of more pop songs that they'd written when they were teenagers and now they'd been on the road they'd seen a lot done a lot were pretty tired i think and you know so, so there's a bit of a um a grungier reflective kind of edgier mood on this record um i love the big drum sounds i love the big guitars you know the the but there's also still a lot of that pop melody that tim is so good at writing so it's um it's kind of an interesting record because it takes you through lots of different moods. Yeah, the first Ash record I ever bought was Free All Angels in 2001, I want to say. It was when I was re- in my Kerrang! reading days. And I loved it. I think Shining Light is one of the best songs I've ever heard anybody write ever. And like it has that kind of Tim Weir that you just kind of alluded to there. Yeah. And I mean, Nuclear Sounds, my first impression of it was I saw like a panel in a magazine of like difficult second albums and that was used as an example. Yeah. Is that fair or yeah. is that... Yes. I was, I was about I to say so. that it's yeah. the classic difficult yeah. second album um, in that... Here was a band who had released the debut album just after they, I think they were just out of school. Mm. I think the album went to number one in the UK, the top 10 hits, and it all seemed so easy for them. And of course, you get that level of success, you're instantly thrown out onto the road, tour mercilessly <laughs> for months on end. And they were a fantastic live band yeah. as well. Like, and they really put a lot of um, energy into their shows. So like the, you know, that constant touring, and they were in high demand at the time as yeah. well. So. I think it, they they probably didn't get a break or a breather, a proper break to make the next record. But then that's, again, that's a, I yeah. think then they made a good record. So <laughs> there you go. Like I think actually putting it just was a different emotion. I think that yeah, was it comes out, out two years after the debut, so not a lot of time. Like I mean, well, they would have been touring constantly prior to that. Right, they would have been written on tour as well. Yeah, yeah. running on the road. Yeah. And apparently, it was critically and commercially, it wasn't a success. If you ba- if you you know evaluated against the debut, I think. It, it didn't do as well. But as Amory says, it is a very good record. I, you know, maybe it's that kind of naive innocence of the debut album was gone. The kind of pop pop side of it was a little bit darker, a little bit harder edged. And maybe, you know, I think maybe the, the fan base that they they brought on, on board from the first album, it was a little bit confusing to hear this kind of darker tone that they, they brought to this album. It's yeah. kind of, I think it's, so it's only really a darker tone, I think, compared to the first album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say like, that. Like I was going to say it's a more grown-up record. It's so. still fairly, you know, like the thing about Ash for me, and it's actually funny because um, I actually really enjoyed listening to this album, but not because of the album, if you know what I mean. What I did was I was listening to this and um, I was like, oh, you know what I'd like to listen to? And then I put on Free All Angels, you know? Mm. And then I was like, you know, I listened to this again. I was, and then I was on listening on Spotify and it skipped, you know, did a suggested listen to um, a song on 1977, which made me go and listen to loads of those. I, like, I, and I kind of, you know, I don't know, I just really, I really like Ash. I like, like what They're they do. Mm. I actually went to their 20th anniversary gig in the Olympia there. Um, I think it was just earlier this year, wasn't it? Oh no, it was what? It no, it's twenty years since seventy uh, since. That was it last year, yeah. yeah, yeah it was last year, end of last year, yeah, that's it. And then I had them come in and guess in the 
college. Well, that's like like. Uh, but this is the thing. Like I listened to the album, and then I I wanted to listen to more Ash, mm. but it wasn't sort of this album. Not that like look, there's nothing. It's all classic kind of. It's what they do, but there isn't a song on that that um, for me like the best Ash songs. There isn't any of those on this album, which isn't to say that it's a bad album. Mm. It's just that when I think of. Like I think Free All Angels is is a really good album. I had a similar experience to you, in as much uh, as it made yeah. me listen to Free All, Free All Angels for the first time in a very long time, and I was like, yeah, I I loved this record. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love Free All Angels. I, I, I would. Um, I, I would actually recommend you actually go back and listen to this one a few more times because I think on a few listens, so you no? mind if I have my? Oh no, totally. <laughs> no, 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 because I, I there are some really incredible songs on this record as well and it's and it the, the, it has a lot of different textures and a lot of different moods and feels as well and yet it's cohesive so i mean i think on a few listens you'd probably find that you i was about to disagree like, with karen i was about to go to bat <laughs> particularly for aphrodite i think aphrodite deserves his place in like the best ash songs canon I yeah think it's, no, it's, it's actually fabulous it's one they placed live still but you know it's funny before i heard the album uh, i got a comp like i started working uh, for like you know in the late 90s you know Cutting lawnmowers, uh, cutting lawnmowers, cutting lawns, <laughs> cutting lawnmowers. <laughs> Down <laughs> to a really science. serious science job. job straight away. <laughs> but uh, cut, cutting lawns and stuff, so I could buy music magazines. And so my first music magazines would have little. They used to always have sampler yeah, CDs. Like yeah, they'd have sampler CDs on them. So the first time I heard Ash was Numskull, which was on like a summer hits ninety nine CD or something that you got free with Rock Select or, or Roxanne, yeah, yeah. whatever. And um, so I thought Ash were just like. Like Numskull is a really heavy song with like DJ scratching and he has, you know, I think there might be a swear word in it. And uh, so I was like, okay, that's what they sound like. And then when I went and, I, you know, looked a bit more at Ash, it wasn't like that. And I was like, no, not for me. But then, you know, two, uh, 2001 Free Young Angels came out and Shining Light was everywhere. And, you know, I was kind of a bit more kind of into the, you know, more cultured taste in that I was choosing my own albums. I was, you know, deciding what I liked. I was, you know, going to gigs. So... You know, then I started to get into Ash, but it's like looking at the track listing. One song's called "Burnt Out." It's a song called "Low Ebb," yeah. "Death Trip." They're beautiful, though. Like, but I'm saying, I'm saying that the feelings that are being, track. I know, but the feelings that are being, you know, put out are like, I'm going to fail. And there's one of the lyrics in one of the songs is, "All the joy you once had is gone." So there is like, it's definitely, definitely a downer. There's mood a de- there's downers going on, and I don't know if that's like I don't know if you know the thing that I love about Ash is this kind of um the excitement and the exuberance and the and the kind of naivety in his voice you know and i don't think that m- marries as well on this album they hadn't worked it out as well, well yet well he spoke to my beloved Kerrang in uh, 2008 and pretty much said a lot of what you've said yeah. coupled with a lot of what you've said Amory, and as much as he was kind of saying that like the writing wasn't quite happening from from the point of view of like he felt the expectation that he obviously didn't have with the first record and tried to kind of use that. But he said that he found that he wonders if this record was a catharsis for the band that they needed to happen in order for them to go and make an album like Free All Angels. Because Free All Angels does sound youthful and vibrant and fast and fun and poppy in a way that this album doesn't, which isn't to suggest that this album, you know, it's to its detriment. But I think it was very reflective of a bunch of kids who all of a sudden had the weight of the world in the shows. Because it's funny, because you said, like, you know, you, you knew their lawyer and teenagers in the same sentence. And I was like, what kind of a fucking teenager has a lawyer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, but, that, that's, but that's, I mean, this yeah. is also the first record that Charlotte Hatherley played on. So that's what the he, first yeah, time they he, had he said that was the like best thing to happen on this record that she yeah, came along. Yeah, oh, she, like the albums that they made with her, I think. Are, I think there was an added. Like I love the guitar sounds, I love the harmonies, and what she added to it was she added a lot to the band. Mm. I think. Yeah. 
And she also wrote uh, her first single, which is on a B-side, called Grey Will Fade, and that actually ended up being the title of her first solo album, Uh, which I helped her put out. Yeah. Um, So I managed Charlotte after that period. So after she left Ash? No, before she left Ash. Oh, sorry, after this album. during the period that she left, and then the next, I put out, Put out her next two albums on a record label set up, I set up with her, called Little Sister Records. So was she? Did she have a separate like? So when she was in Ash, Ash had management, yes. and Charlotte had management separately. Only for her solo stuff. And Tav and I were friends anyway, and so okay. it was all done. It was like I spoke to him first. You know, I told him that you know, like I can help her put out her yeah. album. And in fact, Tav put out the album, the first album. Tav is on, the manager of Ash. Yes on Double Dragon Records which is his own record label mm. so we worked on it together that's funny so it's like she always had she always had a, a, an eye on her being a solo musician as well that was always a strong I think she was always writing songs herself and she'd started writing with Ash but Ash also you know they, I guess they had a particular sound and she was sort of starting to think about um, like there were songs coming to her that she started demoing while she was playing with Ash, while she was touring with Ash. And in fact, I was also, at the time, I was managing Rob Ellis, who was in PJ Harvey, and he was a producer as well. And he heard her demos, told me about them, I heard them, and said, this needs to come out. So then I talked to Tav about it, that I would manage the release. He put it on his record label, and that's sort of how that happened. I think, like, I mean, the one thing I'd say about this album in the in the Ash kind of uh, canon. I was going to say canon, and then I was thinking Ash canon sounds a bit weird. But um, the in oeuvre, the in the oeuvre, want, oeuvre, oeuvre? I love, that's a great that's word. Great word. That's a great journalist <laughs> word. Thank you. Um, I don't think I don't think it's as it's it's. I'm not going to choose this. I don't think over. I think it's fair to say that um, over um, Free All Angels or um, or 1977, but. You know, it works as a kind of a, a, it works as a companion sort of to them as opposed to, I think the others are a bit more showy in what they do. And, and I don't mean showy in the way that they have, like there's like four or five songs in both of those albums I think are like absolutely excellent. And also further on is a song called Orpheus, which I always really liked and um, stuff on Meltdown, which is like their fourth or fifth or whatever. You know, I think there's there's other songs, but there isn't really anything on this that I like. I think folk song is a brilliant song, yeah. and I really like Numb School partially because of the the you know takes you back, takes me back, yeah. 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 Um, Jesus says, Jesus <laughs> says, you know, it's not for me. <laughs> there's some parallels with the Thrills, and you know they'd released this great debut album. Everything was on an upward trajectory, and then their second album, they just. There was sim- a similarity there with this. Now, to Ash's credit, they recovered it because the next album was a huge success. And there's very few bands that do that. I had the exact same thing with JJ72. I was thinking yeah. of them during this well with that first record. I remember buying that first record and being like, again, falling in love with the youthfulness of it and the kind of courageousness of it. Then the second record was a bit more experimental and a bit darker and all that kind of stuff. And then it just faded away. But Ash seemed to really pull it back, which is which is And it's unusual to see it happen, Fair, yeah. you know, in the music. Usually that, that would be enough to bury a band if they're, you know, a lukewarm reaction. Sales are down. The record company are going to let them go. And they, they suddenly slip out of out of the, I remember uh, reading an interview with uh, Brad Pitt of all people, and they were they started off the interview by like throwing some of his earliest films at him, 
and he was very much like, "Oh Jesus, really? Like you really going to do this to me?" <laughs> and then like he said, uh, like he apologized to the journalist for having to have watched them, and he was like, he said, "My education is on record." And I kind of feel like with this album, it's, inc- it's extremely important because you're seeing Ash's education on record, like literally. Mm. Yeah. And it's unforgiving. Like, you know, and the fact that like it still ends up in those panels as a difficult second album to this day, I presume it probably is. It's unforgiving. But I think it actually does enough to kind of get out of that bracket, which yeah. I didn't expect it to do, but it does. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah, and as difficult second albums go, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you know. I think it had to happen as well because... I don't think you get two thousand. You know, you get uh, free all angels if you don't have the beginnings of a of a of a kind of a, um, a move into more depth. You know, mm. and also the the addition, as I say, of Charlotte. Like, so I think that's fair to say it's like an important album, but maybe not for me, not their best. But I think it's still worth a listen, and I think there's good songs in it, and I, you know, yeah, I think I think I think it's fair. Fair enough. Is okay. That, any, any final thoughts from anyone? No, they were good. Okay. Let's move on to the brilliant trees, which Kieran paid money for, so we could have for this episode. Thanks again, Kieran. That, that sounded like the sound of this, not a cash register sound, but uh, this is the brilliant trees. This is only us. That's the Brilliant Trees, that's Wake Up and Dream. This is the second album of three, with the third being a greatest hits assembly of sorts, though uh, a third album proper is allegedly in the works at the moment. Yeah, I was it, totally confused by that. So the th- They've had a comeback. No, but the, the third of. album was the best of. Yeah. yeah it's I, a, was, I thought it was, but I wasn't... Yeah, any anyway, sorry, go it's on. It's an odds and ends kind of thing, yeah. which, you know, I wonder where that kind of came from. So... Uh, the first time I ever saw a mention of this band ever was reading Hot Press, and I remember they interviewed, I think it was Sharon Core at, like, the music show that Hot Press used to do in the RDS, which I worked at once, and she concluded her interview by saying and making a point of that the Brilliant Trees were about to play in the main room downstairs or something, and then she was going to go. And she was like telling the people, I guess, around, the, I presume it was a public interview, to go and see them. So there appeared to be support for this band from contemporaries and that kind of thing. Mm. They don't have much of a profile. I've noticed, despite the fact that, you know, when you read about their reunion in the last year or so, I think they might have supported Aslan or something, um, there's a cult style, a bit of a cult-like following for them, so they're definitely beloved by certain circles. And I think a lot of this band, I, I find them hard to categorise, which I like, I don't like pigeonholing bands anyway, so, I mean, like, it's it's rock indie, I guess, but uh, I think a lot of it would kind of come down to how you feel about vocalist uh, Alan Hoy's vocals. Yeah, a bit of that. They're quite searching, they're not they're kind of no frills. They're not very polished. Do you mean searching, like searching for the note? Or do you mean... Um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes kind of. I mean, like, the guy can sing for sure, but it's, it borders on abrasive, I thought, at times. A song like Take Me Away, I mean, it got a little bit busker in Grafton Street when I'm trying to do my shopping. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was just yeah. like, yeah, I mean, I know what, what you're going for. It's very kind of raw. Well, the, I mean... The, it's, While also being poppy, if that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, well, this whatsoever. is, I think this is an interesting album because, um, the the reason I paid for this album, I've got the receipt, but the reason I paid for it is uh, because it was one of the ones on this list that was on a lot of best of lists. You know? It makes a lot of top one hundred. Yeah. yeah, it makes. And I saw. So I was like, well, this has to be. We have to make sure we, we, we're, we're including this. Did it make that top one hundred that really annoyed you recently? By the way, do you want to talk about that? No. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the Brilliant Trees. They were. They wrote this album. Uh, they were touring the states from nineteen ninety seven. 
um, on this, the the back of their their first album. Uh, they toured for three years up to the year two thousand, uh, pretty nonstop. They actually recorded this in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, um, I think that it it's funny because it sounds <laughs> it still sounds it sounds very mid nineties Britpop at times. There's a, there's a lot there's a kind of a blue tones feel off some of the guitars. There's a, a, a summary feel off a lot of it. There's a lot of harmonies all the way through. And it, it, that kind of English Brit pop sound is throughout. I think, I, think it's a really, I think it's a really good sounding album. I think actually the production is really good in it. I thought it was a bit too glossy, actually. Well, it is quite glossy, but I think that... Which I know goes against what I say about it being raw, but it, yeah. it don't sound like a band that should have this level of gloss on it. No, I, I, think, I, think, I think for what I think for, it suits the music that they're going for. Because, you know, they, want, they have really clean... Uh, melodies, you know, it isn't like really passionate vocals. It's not; they're not a band that are ever going to be. They're not going to be trashing out at any point. So it kind of suits them to be that kind of clean, productive uh, in, in production. I think, but um, I think there's a lot of really good harmonies and a lot of real pinpoint ones. You know, every second line having an exact third and uh, you know uh, a fifth under or whatever. It's quite. It's I wouldn't say clinical, but it's quite exact. You know, and I think that really suits a lot of it. You know. I think there's a song called Heartstrings on it, which I think is really good. I really like the first song, although it's five minutes long. And I was like, why is this song five minutes long? But it's a really good song. Like you a lot. Uh, love you a little. And there's a song called If You Stay. Um, yeah, look, you know, this is a funny one. I'm, this is going to sound like a negative, but it's not. I think it was a really, really easy listen. Um, this was, out of all the, the albums, I instantly got what they were at and what they were going for. And it just... I could just sit back and let I it play. I think the vocals are passionate. I think there's definitely a lot of ambition here. But a question for you, because you're a big lyrics guy. Yeah. I, I, the only thing, and it's, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of the lyrical direction they've taken. I thought you were going to say agenda there for a second. No. <laughs> see, basically, the lyrics are part of the music in this. None of None of the lyrics, for me, stand out, you know, there's a thing like t-shirt lyrics like lyrics so good you would get it on a t-shirt or tattoo lyrics a lyric so good you would get it tattooed there isn't a lot of those on this and that is not and that's not to, that's not what they're going for you know um, and I, I don't want to be negative I like I think the album is really good and I enjoyed it and I think there's some really strong songs like the single as I said Heartstrings the closer is excellent famous last words and yeah. it feels like a closer I think that's something a bit of a yeah. lost art as I bang on about on the Norco podcast all the time that it's like a lot of albums nowadays are just a collection of songs and just to be released as singles and that kind of thing but I love it I'm a sucker for it like with a film I'm a sucker for a great final shot of a film and fade into black and whether use of music or whatever because um, I think the audience you know has that kind of you know short term memory thing where like you need to finish strong you need to start strong and I agree with you that the start of this I like you a lot, love you little clocking in at four minutes and fifty nine seconds is a bit of an ask. Well, it was just yeah. I mean, I mean, that's just I just thought that was unusual. That it's was, a good song, but it's but it's it a is, good song as an opener. It's not arresting enough for an opener. Well, a lot of this isn't massively arresting. There's a song called Television in it, and it's like got like tons of ideas in it. And I was thinking like you could have just spread some of the ideas throughout the album. <laughs> you know, don't keep them off of one song. But look, I think it's a really strong album. I think it there will be people who love this. As I'm a lyrics person. I, I wouldn't be able to give this, a, you know, I, I just, as a result of that, I just, I just feel there's a little bit missing in it as a result. So I can't, I've got to hold back on saying it's like amazing. So I can only kind of, I think it's a, it's a solid three out of five, you know, as a result. Ah, there, there it is. Kieran McGinnis' favourite phrase in the world, three out of five uh, <laughs> from your journalist days. No, but look, joking aside, I think that it's a really solid album. Uh, the only thing I would, I would, but a lot of people don't care about lyrics. I do. 
Okay. I know you do a lot. And uh, to be I, fair, I you I'd do? have to agree. Yeah. If, if, if the lyrics aren't there, it's n- it's never going to be a, a classic album for me. Yeah. You have to have both the music and the lyrics to make an album. Yeah, melodies really and lyrics. Are, yeah. For me, but like, for some people, it doesn't matter at all. You know, and for some genres of music, for example, like, you know, dance or whatever, it doesn't, like, you know, don't cares about the story of the song. So it doesn't matter. So I got the word nightclub in there. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a thing. Like, like, there are, like, people are taught to be like, you know, like, 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 you must get the word nightclub into your song, uh, maybe dance floor or something. Yeah. In the first thirty seconds or whatever, like if it's an EDM track, so <laughs> yeah, like that kind of thing. But no, there's, not, there's nothing. I think it's, look, this is this is a this is their best album. I think Do you know that kind of way. So this is them at their best. Um, and it's the, again, these are a band that people like are really passionate about, you know. And I think I can see why, you know. It's disappointing that I did. You don't hear a lot more after it. Um, but as you said, they broke up. I think a little after this, around two thousand one, two thousand two, and I think two thousand sixteen, they released another EP. I think. That's what it says online. Like, you know, and mo- most of the stuff online is actually just the way the internet is. It's about 2016, very little about the mid-90s. But look, at I think it's a good album. I think I think people should check it out. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I hate to use the word overwrought, but I do kind of find that it gets into warble territory at times with the vocals. Like, you know, it's just kind of like, I would have been like, yeah, you can pull that back a little bit. Maybe, there's maybe there's too only, many harmonies or there's something. Only, there's only one, there's one song and it's about war and children and war and... Um, I kind of that's, uh, that's the script territory these days. Yeah, and I, I you know, I read, I heard that one, and I, I kind of, I just said, look, this is just a misstep, and I didn't want to like, I didn't want to like, you know, tire the whole album with it. But I was, it's called Dance to Your Persuasion, I think, and um, I was, I just, it wasn't for me. But yeah, no, I think it's a solid album, and I think um, there's lots of good tunes to listen to if you like, you know, m- you know, kind of nineties Britpop. This is a 90s album. I think it's it's bang on the money and people will, will, will really like that as a result. Okay. To County Cork next for Sinead Lowen. Lohan. How, how do you want to pronounce this one, Kerr? I'm going to go with Lowen. Sinead Lowen. Yeah. Okay. The album is called No Mermaid. Let's have a song from it. That's the title track from No Mermaid. Kieran McGuinness, who on earth is Sinead Lowen? Well, Dave, um, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, so this is the second album by Sinead Lowen. Um, she released her first album, which was um, a huge hit in Ireland, independently. And then there was a kind of a bidding war, apparently, and Interscope signed her up. And uh, she went and she recorded an album with uh, Malcolm Byrne. And this is it, No Mermaid. It's, I think, it's... Kind of a bit all over the place, but sometimes in a really good way. She kind of sounds like a mix of Christy Moore. There's a bit of the way he sings. There's a bit of Sinead O'Connor, um, and uh, she kind of got successful as a result of like being connected to the kind of woman's heart scene. Like she had a, C- a song on that CD, and she did a cover of uh, um, uh, uh, of a, a Dylan song called "To Ramona," and. She just seemed to be everywhere in kind of 98. She released, I think, four singles off this album. It sold a lot of albums in the States and she toured the hell out of it. I think she might have toured for two years. And then in 2001, she had her second child and I think she hasn't released anything since. There was talk of her releasing an album. She recorded, apparently, an album in 2006, 2007, but it never got released. And as I said, 
There's very little about her online. There's a couple of interviews where, uh, you know, they 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 make the point of saying that she's not difficult, but she's not in. You know, she doesn't want to explain songs. She doesn't want to explain. So it's it's interesting. I want like it's. An, I think it's a really interesting story because Sinead Lohan was was pretty huge in ninety eight, ninety nine, both in the states and in Ireland. Like I was looking at some of her uh, kind. Of, there was some things online comments on individual songs on uh, on all music. I think it was the thing. As I say, very little bit online. And there was lots of people like, oh, I saw her in the the you know the Sanctuary Theatre in Missouri, and you know, she, she was incredible, you know, and that's kind of stuff. Like it's amazing. Like she, she just, I don't get it. She just, she decided not, she didn't want it anymore, and she didn't, she didn't go for it. And yeah, I think it's a really interesting album. I think it's, uh, it's very trad, you know, in her voice especially, and the ballad arrangements that she writes. There's a lot of trip hop. It's kind of Portis heady at times. As we mentioned earlier on that was on the Mary Janes. You know, there's a bit of massive attack feel in there, and then sometimes there's just like solid kind of, you know, I don't know, kind of uh, Irish kind of pop. You know, as well. It's it's very unusual, and a couple of times she sounds like a guest vocalist on her own song. Um, and one of the best songs on it is called Loose Ends and she sounds like it's a it's a dubby hip hoppy poppy kind of song and she's singing over it's just it's really unusual you know is that to its detriment though sound like a guest vocalist on your own song it's weird it is it is odd and i wonder was the record label kind of steering her or you know was it slightly out of her hands because there is a, it does sound like there's a couple of different options you know I, I feel like yeah I, I just found listening to the album it was sound very like an album where the record company had yeah had their sticky paws all over them were you know guiding it in a certain direction I didn't really get I don't like that mix of trip hop and trad I don't think it's a particularly good a good mix but I can see why she was commercially successful you know there's obviously talent there it's just sometimes record companies can meddle with someone's sound to a degree where it really dilutes what they do and I just I just found it it didn't do it for me Okay I really liked the um, Out of the Woods track yeah, which was very moody and it had a kind of a very soulful pretty kind of melody that actually kind of stood out for me and also there's this track called Believe It If You Like, which is an acoustic track. Well, that, that was really, really weird because when I put the thing together, right, um, all the tracks were there online apart from Believe It, uh, I think Believe it or Not it's called. And the only thing the only thing of her was a really good now uh, acoustic version of it. And I just thought that was her. That was her at her best, you know. It was her singing on her own. Yeah. You know, it looked like a reasonably big audience. I couldn't exactly figure out where it was. But I just found that really arresting, you know. Yes. It was great. That video yeah. It was actually, brilliant. Was and I was good. thinking, like, is this what people saw when they went to see her live? You know, this is what they, they kind of got, you know. They got this, you know, really kind of impressive, flawless vocal, completely flawless, really well-paced song, a really well-built kind of tune. And... um I don't know, it's funny because then I assume on the album it's really produced and it's got a hip-hop drumbeat behind it. You See, know? this is the thing. I mean, like, I think Believe If You Like, that take that I heard is one of the highlights of this record. As I think Out of the Woods is really good as well. But I do think that, you know, you mentioned, like, you know, she sounds Irish at times, almost over-Irish in a way. Like, I mean, I think she leans on her Irishness uh, on quieter, more folky numbers, kind of to, as if it was the sound of mass marketing, the sound of, like, trying to market it to an American audience or something. And I just kind of felt like, you know, I don't need those bells and whistles. And there are arguably too many bells and whistles on this because it does sound a little bit like, 
even a chorus record at the time where you're like the songwriting is here the delivery is here but there's just a little bit too much going on in the studio where I get it's meant to be busy it's meant to be very marketable and kind of big sounding but I think if you listen to it through the kind of prism of it being 2017 now time like the time and the advances of technology and modern songwriting techniques and production techniques aren't kind to this record which again we run into this problem in the Revis all the time where it's mm-hmm. like is that fair no it's not but you kind of can't help but have that conversation and kind of have that relationship with. I think wind. I think it it does put it in it. I think you could put it on and not know anything about it. And you can say this is this from the nineties. I think oh, it's very nineties. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's just because of that production thing. It's from the era. Yeah, like it's it's like throwing on an eighties record where you're like, well, that's obviously from. That's not a bad thing, but it's, it's yeah. it, it can't escape those trappings. I think There's, there was an obsession. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's still there. With record companies, particularly, make, trying to make a record sound big rather than make it sound good. And there's a difference, you know, you can produce a record to death where it's it's got all the the sounds of the time and, you know, they, they throw everything but the kitchen sink on. But as you said, the acoustic track where it's just the voice and her playing, yeah, that's probably beautiful. what really connected with her audience at the beginning. And once a record company gets involved, it's like, mm. how do we make this sound radio friendly or... You know, and it's it's to the detriment of so many records. It's the Americans, though, you see it all the time. The bloody I've, Americans. I, yeah, <laughs> I've I've toured with a lot of um, Irish bands in America, and they have such a thick Irish accent when they're in America. And then when you get them home, they're fine. But it's just like we have to do this. We have to. Uh, our set list must be kind of Irish, and our words must be pronounced real like. Dublin, Dublinese, or whatever. Is that a lack they, of confidence? N- well, they're because told. Because you can be so... Oh, because you're they're, told. They're kind of told, yeah. To do, You'll sell more records if you sound more Irish and throw on an L green jumper. And that's well, you, it. You, so you just come back from touring the States, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did you... Was, was that like you were like looking at the set like, going, oh, no, let's not play that, let's play... Completely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to sell records. I'm going to do anything. I'm through hoops over there. <laughs> Definitely. But here you can't, like, we can't play the same set that we've done over in America. We have a show now in two weeks in Wheelands and we're not going to play the same set what we played in America. Like, that was just a different us. It's a coddle for everyone that the comes coddle in. for American <laughs> <Aaron> yeah. sweater. <laughs> exactly. I, I, despite all that, like, I actually, this was, I, I don't know, I got something from this I didn't get. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I really liked. I really liked a lot of this. What she was bringing to it, I think, probably. I think it's a shame as well that it didn't continue. Like you were talking about difficult second albums and how a record can disappear or a band can disappear if they have a ba- like a difficult enough second album. Like the Brilliant Trees didn't release another album after this. The Mary Janes, I know that was a different reason, didn't release another album after this. So, but this was a success technically. You know, mm. like a lot of numbers sold and like. It just didn't, you know, because she probably decided she didn't want it. Who know? owned it? Who owned it? Yeah, yeah, well, I suppose Interscope. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 an it's an. I think it's an interesting thing because um, I put this on in the house and my wife was like, "What's that?" And I said, "It's Sinead Lohan or whatever." And she goes, "Oh, I know, I know those songs. My sister used to listen to that." Mm. And suddenly, like you know, this was a really big album of her sisters, but she hasn't heard this in whatever nineteen ninety eight, fifteen, seventeen, twenty, nearly twenty years, and it's like, you know. You know, suddenly she remembers it because it was played so much in the house, you know, so like it's, 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 I don't know. It's well, I will say like, I mean, I guess to wrap up on this one is that like at one point when I was doing my, uh, my, my detective Google, uh, one of the genres I found this filed under was 90s. 
And I mean, like, that's just like, it's just a strange thing because it's like, that's not even a genre. You're like, you're, you're yeah. like it's just like, it's, it's you know, <laughs> things being from its era are very much like, uh, I feel like, you know, one of the kind of the context of doing this project has been very much a case of like, you have to step outside of that. And I think if you step outside of that, there's some excellent songwriting here, but there is also a little bit kind of just over-egging of the pudding or something. Like, I mean, just it doesn't need as much as it has. Mm. The, that that live take of that song was the standout moment for me. And yeah, I was like, brilliant. I want more of that because her voice is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Really but weird beautiful. thing as well, on her Wikipedia, it says, you know, um, it's, it's, it's I know, you know, one of the first places you go is you just get some basics on the Wikipedia. And as you see this, it says... Um, uh, Sinead Lone has uh, played a, a gig. Sorry, a gig of hers was reviewed in you know Connecticut, and uh, she was confident but not commanding. And it says it like in the, it's the third line of her Wikipedia. And I was like, why would they put that in? She definitely didn't edit her own page. She didn't then. edit her own page. No, we know that much. Okay. You know, but like it's funny. And then the the thing about it, later on in in interviews, it was a thing that was coming up a lot. It was that. She uh, she wasn't mad into the uh, the the fame of it, you know. So maybe you know, maybe actually was quite a you know uh, an insightful line is that she was confident in herself, but she just wasn't. She was more into making jokes with the the band than making jokes with the audience. It's interesting, anyway, mm. and I, I think it's not something that people do a lot is have success and then decide to step away from it. Often it's decided for you that you step away from it. Fair enough. Okay, and finally on the revisit this time, uh, returning to the revisit, it's therapy. Something completely different. This is from Semi Detached. That's Church of Noise, the opening track from Therapy's fourth record, I believe. It's hard to keep track because they just keep on making them. We've talked about them before on the show. Actually, this is the record where uh, previous revisit guest Graham Hopkins apparently became a full-time official member of Therapy. So we'll have to get him on the phone at some point. But Paul, Therapy, where where do they rank in your rock canon? Therapy would be a band close to my heart. Um, I think their very first gig, if not the first, very one of their first gigs in Dublin was supporting Whipping Boy in the underground. And I just remember standing at the top of the stairs of the underground and hearing them playing downstairs and they just made this absolutely phenomenal noise. And they blew us away that night. Very few bands, I'd say, definitely blew us away. But that night, they just the audience went wild for them. I think it was just a trio at that point. And they were fantastic. They had... Some great influence, a bit of Sonic Youth, some big black, a lot of hardcore bands, and they just really went for it. Within two years, we were supporting them on a tour around the UK because they just went straight. You know, they were you became very successful in a very short space of time. They just connected with that audience who were into the hardcore scene, into kind of American noise bands. They they really picked up on that audience. So, yeah, this album, it's another one that does does what it says on the tin when it comes to therapy you know they're just monster riffs and I never thought the records captured what they what they could deliver live and that's a common a common enough thing with bands like that you know it's very hard to capture that energy and intensity that they brought live but it's it's a it's a decent record um it's it's up there with their 
their best. Well, this is the thing. I mean, like we use the word communal on the show already. And I think one of the reasons why therapy endure is because they have that diehard fan base. And I think a lot of it is to do with, you know, you know, not to completely generalize here, but a lot of their records are the same, but different, but genre fans. I mean, like it's like someone reading like a, a book about say like a private detective and there's 20 books in the series. And that's the challenge for that writer because the audience wants the same but different mm-hmm. every time. And it's a case of you can't go too far outside the lines, exactly. but you also got to write good songs and deliver them well. And that, I think, is the secret to therapy over... You know, I'm willing to be corrected by members of therapy if you're listening, no problem. But, <laughs> I, but I feel like that's why bands like this endure because they know their audience. And, and they, that can be a bit of a straitjacket where you, the band becomes afraid to kind of veer off because they lose the audience. You see it with post-rock bands as well where it's li- literally like a uniform the song titles are all the same with all the bands and they're afraid to deviate from that because that's exactly what their audience wants it's so hard to like review like the 10th Mogwai record where you're just like I mean (laughs) it it sounds like a Mogwai record but it's brilliant (laughs) and and they do and there's enough individuality on these songs like I'm I'm literally referring to the recent Mogwai record Every Country Song which I think is one of their best but again try writing 700 words on it when you've done that before it's very very difficult I tried to sign Mogwai oh really did did, did they say no well, no, it was this. It was actually the, the I got the, the head of A and R and one of the sort of A and R managers over from Reprise to come and see them, and I thought they were brilliant, and they were just a little concerned because there was they were like, but what about the songs, or something along those lines? I remember so it was very early days, of course, but it was just I thought they were phenomenal. They're amazing, and I absolutely loved them and desperately wanted to work with them, but. Um, I think it was probably better for them at the time, the way they went. You know, some, sometimes, you know, going to major labels immediately isn't As the Sinead best Lohan idea. As will tell you, yeah. <laughs> well, the, other, the other thing with this, this um, I read an interview and I actually think that I, I hadn't got my, I couldn't put my finger on, on what it was about the album. Uh, I thought it was, I thought this album was much more, and I know quite a bit of therapy, you know, um, and I thought this album was quite different to their first three. And then they said in the interview that the first three albums they recorded and they toured and it wasn't a lot of fun. It felt quite serious and they just didn't, like they enjoyed it, but they, it, you know, it was, it was quite serious, you know. And they said they deliberately wanted to try and inject a little bit of fun to it. So they expanded to a four piece and they got Graham Hopkins as a drummer. And apparently Graham Hopkins was great crack and lighthearted. And, you know, he's, a, he's obviously a kind of a fun guy. We met him la- last time. So then suddenly this album makes more sense to me because there's, there's a sense of playfulness to the album all the way through, mm-hmm. you know, and a bit of like... Um, um, there's a bit. It's a bit lighter. There's a bit of humor. The videos. It's less overtly political. It's less overtly. They ran polit- into that kind of with the previous record, where it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, like we can have that and everything. And obviously, you know, they're well versed to say it. But yeah, I do agree with you. Their playful side, like it's fun. Like it's fun when therapy are having fun. Like, yeah, it's and fun the videos are kind of funny. Like the video for "Lonely Crying Only." You know, you know, he's like a disembodied head, like singing the song. That was you know? kind of disturbing. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of funny, you know. Like Kieran's got a lot of demons. You know? Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, the only thing about it is sometimes the album veers towards a little bit, a little bit rocket from the crypt instead of like Sonic Youth, you know, mm. a little bit. Anyone else get that a little bit? Although Heaven's Gate reminded me, the guitar part reminded me of Dinosaur Jr. Yeah, well, they still have that like powerful noise thing. But yeah, look, I just, I just kind of the playfulness in this kind of really, I really, I was like, yes, this works for me because there was definitely a playfulness on their, like on their big albums and their first album. But it was a bit more 
underplayed. It's like they weren't willing to go there with yeah, it, you know. Course. And it kind of worked in as an understated. See, way. I'm kind of the weirdo who almost prefers Rock from the Crypt to Sonic Youth, where it's just well, like, <laughs> so this is right up my alley. Not that I love Sonic oh, no, Youth. I amazing, say, I'm not like, saying it's in a bad way. I'm just saying that it, you know, it, it like it went a direction that it was outside them, sort of. You know what I mean? But like, I think this is a really good album. The Church of Noise, straight from the very first song, I was like, yes, I wa- this is great. You know, like I thought that there was a lot of emotions going on in Sinead Lohan I thought the Brilliant Trees was kind of an understated kind of thing and again it was like you know serious and all the rest and I thought the Mary Janes was quite serious I don't think it was bad but it did take itself a little bit seriously I think it was proper music whereas I thought you know the therapy album I thought there was a bit of fun and a bit of life and a bit of passion you know in it that I kind of went okay you know there's a bit of and I don't know how you know in retrospect this is but there's a bit of a defiant line here with this record that some critics and fans have kind of put on this the label on this record that like you know around the time of the late 90s when you're seeing the start of new metal you're seeing the start of rap metal and rap yeah. rock sport, kind of sport metal yeah which you know again I fell for like you know like like a teenage boy with a crush but nonetheless what I would say <laughs> is therapy didn't do that they stuck to their guns and they kind of you know went in their own kind of way they didn't adhere they didn't try and quote unquote sell out and I think again that in like a kind of really the fans embraced that. If it didn't necessarily, they they could have. You feel like Therapy could have written an album to go with trends that yeah. were kind of emerging. Because it's funny because like if you look at that time, that kind of late nineties, early two thousands era, and the biggest bands of that style, I mean Therapy get a shout, but they're not up there. But you kind of feel like well they didn't want to be. You know they're happy to do well, their I, own thing. I think this record was top thirty in the UK, wasn't it? Really? So, so it is commercial, like for them. I think the one maybe the single soil. was. I think the yeah. Well, the Church of Noise is one of their biggest singles, I think. Um, uh, as far as I know, I don't know without you know. I don't have the exact dates, but they said it was said it was a hit for them. So I don't know what a hit for therapy is compared to a yeah. hit for like I think you know, a hit for anybody in this top thirty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just just for a metally rock band. I wonder is it a, do you have a different level of what in a the hit UK, is? That is, you know. Yeah, so yeah. that was it's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's it's great. Look. I, you got played on the top of the charts countdown, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, well, this is it. Like, it's funny, all these albums, uh, every album on this is their, is their second album, apart from this, which is the fourth album, you know? And this, to me, the Therapy album sounds like the band knows knows who they are the most. I think the Ash album, I don't know if Ash sound like who, they're working out who they are. I think Mary Janes are definitely working out who they are. The Brilliant Trees... I think there's a certain amount of that. There's a you know misfiring a little bit, working out where they are, and obviously with Sinead Lohan, which is you know I go with that. That's fair. So I think the, the therapy album. I feel like they're like it's this the most feels centered, loo- they've yeah. loosened up a little bit yeah. at that point. You know where you know it's, it isn't as you say as serious. They maybe they've just they've done all, they've gone through all that and it can be a little bit looser and just play what they want to play on that record. But when, here's a question for you, Paul. Right, so. You did the, you did th- release three Whippin' Boy albums, right? Mm-hmm. And did you release a Shadow Cabinet album? No. No, I was going to say. Cause no, that was Fergal. That was Fergal was in that? That's Sorry, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was the... I thought it was... Because I never... Because they don't have... No, it, no. Very no, little, no, that no. Was, okay, that was Fergal. Fergal yeah. Because I thought it was interesting that the Shadow Cabinet was the people behind the person. Or, but anyway, that's <laughs> but um, when you got to your third album... Were you going, well, like, we can do anything now, you know? Absolutely not. No? <laughs> when we got to our third album, we knew we were kind of... Facing the facing the end, so the third album was like the most distressing period of the bands. You know, we knew it was it was over, but we wanted to make that last record, and it was hell to make. And band weren't talking to each other. We were going into the studio at different times, so it was just get it get it finished. And I kind of it. I think it's a good record, but it sounds like a band who were falling apart. Yeah, I think. 
We did it, we did it, we did it. What was the band we did? Um, we did a band before um, called um, Inter Paradise. And they, they oh, yeah, did their excellent band. Album. Brilliant band. Um, and uh, their album was when they were breaking up and we all said we could hear it. And then mm. one of the panellists was, was working with them at the time. He said, yeah, no, they, were, they weren't talking to each other, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's funny, it comes across, it comes out, you know. And I think the confusion, a little bit of confusion and, and who trying to figure out who you are, I think you can hear that in all these albums, you know. Yeah. And, well, maybe not the Mary Janes. I don't think, I think they are kind of confident in themselves. But the rest of them, I think there was a little bit. But again, this therapy album, I think they feel like they know where they are. It's like that kind of, they're probably a bit rejuvenated because uh, yeah. they have a you know a new lineup or whatever else, you know. And I, like, you know, so. It was certainly in the time of stage diving. So I'm sure there was plenty of moshing and stage diving at yeah, a therapy their, gig. Their live, live shows were crazy. I mean, they, they had that hardcore band of followers who, you know, followed them anywhere. And bands like Therapy, they don't need hits, chart hits, or, yeah. or didn't need chart hits to survive because, because their following was so dedicated. And, you know, they could, they could continue to make music and have, know that that following was going to be there for them. They weren't... You know, you didn't have the same f- level of fickleness that you'd have with some other bands. Like we mentioned, The Thrills, who had a big album. And then second album, the, their audience literally disappeared. Um, it was very, it was bizarre. And Ash could have faced that, but to their credit, as we say, they, they went off and wrote a, a killer toured tour album mm. and pulled it back. Mm. But um, the likes of Therapy and, you know, you see b- bands, we mentioned post-rock bands, they have a hardcore following who will follow them once they... Once they stick within the confines of what's expected, yeah. it gets to a stage up. with those bands. Like I mean, where the album exists so that you can tour. It's like it, yeah. that's that's why the album is there. It's like so we can go back on the road. Like bands like you know, Exposed in the Sky, Mogwai, Therapy. Obviously, like they're not a post rock band, but they kind of go into that level. So yeah, the diehards are there mm. for them, and that's why they you know have the career that keeps going, and which is great. I mean, like yeah. like you love that. You love to see that. But um, but Andrew, you're writing your you're writing your third album now. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, and yeah. it's uh, you're on tour quite a bit. Yeah. So how is that? Is that the same? Are you having trouble with it? Or? No, because uh, luckily enough, like the past two al- two albums that we released, um, the majority of the material was mine. And yeah, we were on, we've been on tour the past few years that Paul and Tony started to write a lot of songs. We got the finger in. So it takes a bit of pressure off. Yeah. They're great songwriters. So it kind of helps me. And then it helps me write better songs. There's this competitiveness. Uh, we're like three brothers that want to compete with each other with songwriting. But then again, you can get your shit, as you say, like songs, like no. And we're very honest with each other too. So if one of us write a really bad song, we go, no, that's not going to make it. Give that to somebody else. But yeah, the third album, yeah, I, I re- it will be difficult for us. Um, I can see where a third album could like give you a lot of pressure. As a band, Like we've kind of... Um, stepped away from each other for a while for a few months to give each other space because we were kind of on the same boat a few months ago or like is it gonna are we gonna get the third album out and now we've decided yes we want to and it's not because it could end it's just we want to get the third and we we were we are looking at a fourth already too just to have that in mind so yeah, um, unless you go on tour and then end up stabbing uh, each other. And well, that could happen. Like that, definitely could happen. <laughs> You'll be there to mediate, though, won't you, care? Definitely. Okay. Well, let's. Let, we shall mediate over these records. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and see what stands tallest or thereabouts. Okay, so we've talked about it. Uh, there's been a few heads beaten, and we're all feeling a little bit better about things now. So, um, Anne Marie, I'll go to you first. 
I've got a feeling you're going to go with Ash. But, uh, I am going to go with Ash. Tell us why. Shocker. Because I love Ash. <laughs> and I, you know, disagree with a lot of the critics of this album. And I think it's a brilliant album. Okay. Um, I am also going to go with Ash. Boo. Because I think, as I said earlier on, that it, it steps out of that bracket. It doesn't deserve to be in that box. I think it actually is. Stands upon its own. I think it's a very good record. But I will agree that, you know, like, if you want to rank Ash albums, it's not on my top. But I think it deserves better than it gets. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, mention for the Brilliant Trees album. It's cer- certainly worth a look, worth a listen, if you can track it down and do what Kieran did and spend money on Irish music. It's a good thing to do, listener. I recommend it. Can I give a recommend to Sinead Lohan as well? Yeah. Do you want to get you? Yeah. 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 She's in. I'm going to go with the Ash record. I think it's a much missing, understood, difficult second album, and I think it's worth revisiting. Um, I shout out for the Mary Jane's record as well, which is a record I hadn't heard before listen, listening to it for this show, and I think it it would surprise a few people if they listen to it. It's not it's not what I had my preconceived notions of what the Mary Janes were about. It's not on that album, so it's worth listening to. For what I hear, I should go for Ash, but um, I'll go for the Mary Janes. Um, as a band, I think they had it all back in '98. Um, lyrically, um, and their music was just ah oh, for me. I I would have loved them being around. I was doing my junior cert back then, so yeah, I go for it, the Mary Janes. Okay, so um, I'm gonna go for Sinead Lone. I think. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect album, but I definitely think it's something that people will find something in. And I think it's interesting enough that it's something that people should revisit. Um, And while I think, I think a lot of people might like The Brilliant Trees, and I think think a lot of people would like Therapy. I think out of this list, I think The Mary Janes is one for me that is my other recommendation because I think it's them at their kind of, I think it's them at their strongest. I think it's an album that maybe a lot of people don't know. So that's why I'm going Sinead Lohan and Mary Janes. Okay, so what does that stack up as, Kieran? Who stands tallest? So, it's um, a tie, is it? Is that, is it's that a saying? tie, yeah. <laughs> We've had ties before on the show. That's more than fair. So we're going for um, Ash Nuclear Sounds and the Mary Janes Sham as our two recommended albums from this episode. All right. That's a good return, I think. So I want to thank everyone for coming in, Paul and Marie, Anthony, and even you, you, Karen. Oh, I do. Thank you all so much for coming. It was awesome. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So to play us out this week, who gets gets the coveted No Encore play out? Well, Anne-Marie, what what Ash song would you like to play us out on? Oh, my God. Um, Numbskull. That's nice. See, she was being deferential for you there, Kieran, because it was the one back in your uh, feel like your I'm lawn mowing days. Very well. My name is Dave Henry. This has been No Encore. It's been The Revisit. And this is Ash. And this is Numbskull.
Perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rose. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total wine and more. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.